as parents, we think, okay, we got to do something different. And it can get quite overwhelming to go, oh, we have all these problems in the house or whatever, dealing with this one child. And we're just overwhelmed and we don't know where to start. And we think it's going to take this gigantic switch or whatever to change, to make a difference. When really, I think the better approach is to just say, how do we change this one situation? You know, let's, we're going to Disney World, we're whatever. We're going to the grandpa's house on for Christmas. How do we not turn this into a debacle? You know, it's like, what, what specific thing could we work on that would change how that thing would turn out? Folks, welcome to Counselors Can Help. Let's demystify the process of counseling. We want to remove barriers, answer your questions, educate, entertain, and inspire you to action. All right, welcome back to Counselors Can Help. We are here today. I'm here, Merrill Fink, to talk with Liza Telford. We are going to hopefully get into a little bit more of this conflict series. A uh, quick shout out for Aspire, the organization we work for, 801-525-4645. That's the number you can call, especially if you're in northern Utah and want to talk to folks like us. Liza and I are certainly on the payroll. We'll, we're one mm-hmm. of the options that you can refer to, so hopefully you, you hear something from this show and um, learn, ideally, what it would be like coming in. That's the whole point of the show. So um, please call us, call that number. Lots of folks here to help you out. I mean, wonderful organization, wouldn't you say? I mean, yeah, I really like the network of clinicians that come together and collaborate. Yeah. It's odd to think it could be a lonely profession, but you are one-on-one so often. Absolutely. That I think having a network of people to collaborate with and say, I'm not an expert in that particular thing, but someone else may be, yeah. can be very helpful. Yeah, I think we help each other out. I think it's just a great organization, great leadership. Mm-hmm. I'm very pleased coming at this from a totally different work environment, uh, different work experience, I guess. Um, I'm very impressed with this organization. So hopefully you folks out there will, will have the same idea if, if you uh, come work with Aspire. Um, you'll, you'll have the same takeaway. So uh, we are going to continue this show on um, conflict. And what I'm interested to do today is take a lot of the things that we've talked about and turn them into just a little different scenario. And that is, we're talking today, kids, teenager type issues. So not that I don't think anything we're really going to discuss is all that radically different than what we've already talked about, Mm -hmm. right? We're just going to focus on a bit more of these ideas and try to show, I guess, more of how that would look like in a teenager scenario. So um, I did, before the show, uh, in fact, this morning, sometimes I go back to old shows and listen to them or whatever, and I listened to the first one we did on conflict, and I, we talked about Disney World, mm-hmm. and that there are meltdowns in Disney World and, and public places, and that's sort of a quintessential place where parents and, and not necessarily teenagers in Disney World, maybe younger kids were like the ultimate crash of, <laughs> I've crash had enough. and burn. <laughs> starts, to, starts to happen. So um, that gave me some, some good ideas to, I guess, talk about in this show that a lot of these ideas about conflict are universal. It's just that with a teenager or a younger child, you may just modify them slightly. Um, but I don't think they're radically different than what we've already talked about so far. Any thoughts on that, Liza? No. I think that's spot on. I I mean, I start, if you go back and listen to all these shows, I start to sound like a broken record of once you identify the pattern of the way you react to things, you really, truly, I am a believer, can plunk in any issue. 
and work through it, whether that is the issue itself or the person that I am in conflict with. And so a big part of conflict would be to understand what triggers me and what happens for me when things come up and how I deal with them. And then it doesn't matter if it's my spouse or it's my child or it's my coworker. As soon as we have an understanding of kind of how we deal and how we can do it differently, it tends to work for most situations. Yeah. And I think the idea of identifying the pattern, especially with both people in the room, can work with teenagers. I mean, they, they get it. Sure. I mean, maybe an age down to where that becomes, mm, not sure that's so productive anymore. I don't know what that number would be, but I think teenagers for sure can sort of get the concepts of, hey, this isn't a great pattern. Mm-hmm. I'm contributing. I'm, I'm definitely doing my part to keep this pattern going. So are they. Uh, sure. and, and there's something we can do about it together. I think a teenager can certainly grasp that idea. That's not, oh, sure. not beyond their, their capability uh, sure. for sure. And so my, my thought going into this was to, I guess as a motivation idea, as to why do we even do this? Why do we care? I mean, I, to me with kids, you start out with kind of the idea of they're so young, you just make them do what you want them to do, right? Mm-hmm. When they're a little baby... There's no negotiating going on. There's no talking. You pretty much, you're doing the best you can to sort of get them to do what you Have think Have you needs met to any two-year-olds, Meryl? <laughs> <laughs> it's negotiating with terrorists. Sure. No, yeah, no, no, no. I'm talking about like little babies. I mean, whenever yes. you're out. You are, they have very few ways of communicating with you. you right. Get yeah. the needs met and you're smooth sailing yeah. for the most part. And I think that's, and that's fine. It's totally expected and reasonable at that, at that age but then as they as children grow the parents do need to adapt i mean would you say that's fair i mean sure what worked at one and two i mean at three you can already be dealing with a radically different situation and so there's there's um i know in our case i think my wife and i were pretty confident our daughter was up to two i think we felt like we had it totally under control (laughs) and then a switch happened. <laughs> and, and then we were like, man, we need a new system for you yes. know, what we had that was working so good. And all of a sudden that system is, is different. And I think that's a very common parent mm-hmm. experience is, man, it seems to be working great. And then now it's not, we're not sure why we got to change something. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's a very um, understandable and very common place for parents to be. Sure. Right? Or, and, and you, what works with one child, something that you've done with one child doesn't work for another child. And you, you think that that's all you, that you raised this um, child that's so, that listens really well, that's super obedient. And then you have one that it doesn't do that. And you think, what did I do? And part of that's them. Part of that's you. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it can be a lot of factors for sure. And this show is to get you to see that there is a way to resolve that specific relationship sure. with that specific child, that specific age, uh, whatever it is you're dealing with, that that's, that's all solvable. And I, I wrote down some notes here. The intimida- Many parents want to go to the intimidation idea of, or stay with that, like I'm going to sort of rule with an iron fist kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. and I even re- remember, I have a relative who talked about, I remember, I don't know why this stuck with me, but... She, we were doing some family history stuff and, and she said, yeah, that person, um, she never, like when he walked into the house, she like left. Like, I mean, she was like deathly afraid of this person. Mm. 
not that he was a monster, but he was just very, you know, he just didn't put out a good vibe. Like kids were welcome and, you know, you basically had to knuckle under and Mm -hmm. that's, you know, was the, was the vibe this person put out. I think that's the extreme, but that idea I think is dangerous because if that's you, your parent trying to raise your child in sort of that environment, I mean, you're never going to have a relationship with that child. I mean, they're always going to fear you. Yes, they may behave, but they're not going to come to you with problems. They're not going to come to you for advice. They're going to just sort of keep their distance and do the minimum they can do to sort of keep you out of their lives, Mm -hmm. essentially. I think that is a really great thing to stay with for a minute and to think about uh, what is my end game. (laughs) And I know that's funny to think with a two-year-old or with a 15-year-old, it's a little more realistic. And with an older child, it's even more realistic. But when I meet with parents and a teenager, say for the first time, I ask the parent to describe what the first day of meeting them was like. If they were adopted the first day they held them or if they had them, um, if they were, if they are the biological parent, what that was like to hold them. And I, we have this whole conversation about what the parents' thoughts were the first time they met them. And the parent always ends up somewhere in the realm of when I say, what did you want for them when you were meeting them for the first time? And the parent inevitably somewhere lands near a healthy, happy, contributing member of society. <laughs> I want them to, you know, have a fulfilled successful life, whatever that looks like to them. And the teenager often is looking at them like, what are you talking about? (laughs) That that is not what you want for me. And so there's this misconnect of what, what is the end game for the parent, which is connection and an, and an adult child that can say they have good memories from childhood, but also a connection to their parent that they can come to them with problems and what does that what does healthy and happy look like to a parent sometimes it comes across as getting your jobs done getting your homework done getting these boxes checked that the child is not recognizing as an adult mentoring them to become a healthy happy contributing member of society they see it as being bossed and so there is this disconnect of What's the end game here? And if we can start with what the end game is, how do we communicate what that end game goal is? And to figure out, like you said, maybe even even go back to, okay, what was the end game? What, what are we trying to accomplish What are here? we trying to accomplish by parenting this? What do we want for them? What do we want? What What is it that we're after? And most parents will say, I want them to become an adult that they that they themselves the child is proud of yeah and and one another thing I, I threw in here and I'm not sure it's appropriate with what you just said it's probably sort of related but sometimes people with very what I called high level jobs or a powerful person whatever um, they have people who work for them let's say when they go to work there's people whose job it is to sort of make sure they're getting the information they need whatever they've got a circle of power. For to come back home, that's a different environment. And I think some people definitely have trouble in that transition, Mm -hmm. right? 
I wholeheartedly <laughs> agree that it sounds like a Mr. Rogers episode, but there are literally hats. I mean, figuratively, not literally. And so I will ask people to picture a literal hat that they're putting on, like a Mr. Rogers episode. This works here. So I put on this hat. When I come home, that doesn't work anymore. That's not the tools that I need to be in this environment. And it is a hard transition. Yes. I think when you, when you have people, like, like I said, working for you, helping you, support you, and what you say goes, and then you walk into an environment where that's probably not happening, that can be massively frustrating and really hard to sort of get away from mm -hmm. that idea. Or why isn't it like that here? Right, especially when it works so well at work. <laughs> yeah. yeah, how come they're not listening to me here? I must need to exert more power or more, you know, whatever. So that's definitely very hard uh, to do, I'm, I'm certain. So um, that's just another, I guess, environmental factor, I guess, of what parents face and how they have to adjust. So ultimately, like you said, we want a, an end goal that everyone is happy with. And I fear that when people come to a therapy with a teenager, let's say, there's kind of an idea of they are the, you know, it's like a fix them, mm -hmm. you know, here's my credit card, uh, I'll be back and, you know, whatever. There's some idea of they're the problem, they're disrespectful, they're sort of mm -hmm. off the rails, which in some parts, let's, let's be realistic, there may be pieces of that in there, mm. but they are having a hard time trying to figure out, I guess, A, what to do with that. Because uh, everything they've tried has failed, so you know it must be the child or whatever it is. And trying to, I guess, get past this idea of there's something only wrong with the child is like yet another sort of leap the parent has to make, right? To go, hey, there's something probably I need to be doing that's making this all sure. worse. That's my very favorite when a client comes in, a teenage client for the first time, and the parent says, they, this is the problem. <laughs> Fix them. This is an issue. And we, I love that because I have a few sessions. I try to have a few sessions with the child alone. And then we invite the parent to come back. And the child can see that there are pieces of this that they can't own that, that are just part of their system. And when we can take that blame piece out, that this isn't helping, that we respond to that. Every behavior uh, serves a purpose. So an obstinate child, that it, that's serving a purpose for him or her somehow, right. even if it's not productive or helpful. So or can that's we all figure they know. it out? Right. That it's might be all they know. That's the pattern that they're obviously trying to fulfill a need. It might not be very productive. Yeah. And I've, been, I've done what you do as, as well. I, I spend time with the teenager. And when I started working with teens, I would get the... You know, the vibe from the parents, oh, no, this one's really difficult. And you close the door with just the teenager in the room. And I find many times it's just fine. I mm -hmm. mean, you can have a conversation. Uh, certainly it helps for them sitting down with someone they don't know. And, you know, they're, they're trying to be respectful. And, you know, so there's, we have some help that way. But um, I find that they actually are thinking quite deeply about these subjects. And they just don't know sort of how to apply them or... Or, or oftentimes we'll take ownership of stuff that they've done. Sure. Or how to communicate when they know their parent feedback so well. They've received the same reaction from their parent so many times that why would they try it differently? Or why would the parent try that differently? 
when there's just been this stuck place of clashing. That doesn't make a lot of sense until they can see that neither one are at fault. We're just doing it differently, and that's not it's not good. It's not helpful. So when a when a parent uh, comes in with their child, and there are sessions where the teenager say is in the room with a therapist. Don't be afraid that that's going to turn into another argue session or whatever. Most likely, that those sessions go actually quite well. It's been my experience that they're sure. they're pretty pretty good and fairly productive uh, sessions. And we we work with the teenager to see okay, what what should, where should we go here next? What's the next step? Mm-hmm. Um, what could we do when we bring your parents in or mother or whatever it is to to work on it? They actually provide very good input. I think. I think they teenagers are brilliant. <laughs> I think they are incredibly fun to work with. I think they have a lot of great insights. I had a professor say when I was in graduate school, they are the most oppressed group of people. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's not true. And it was probably because I had teenagers at my home (laughs) that I thought that can't possibly be true. You are not an oppressor. (laughs) And the more I sat with that and just let that, you know, maybe find some truth in that, it's it became very apparent to me that we uh, have these high functioning people, teenagers that don't get to make a lot of their own decisions, end up getting told what they're going to be doing and that you will be educated this way. And maybe they choose their sport or something, but there's a lot to that that they do not get to choose to be raised. And even just having a conversation and feeling heard can really the same things may be happening at home. We may need to, you know, do X, Y, and Z before we can have fun, but having an understanding or feeling heard can make that go so much smoother. Yeah. Um, So bringing them into a session like this or having the idea of maybe doing family therapy or something like that, um, I think is a good, is a good, plan because ultimately probably parents are trying to get out of this sort of yelling going on at the house and we're we know we can do better we're trying to come up with something and i think you talk to any therapist they will all tell you the same thing is when you're trying to solve problems when everybody's upset it's just not going to work out very well that 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 moment where you're trying to sort of talk louder than the other person especially if it's a teenager yes you can in that moment intimidate them into something but most likely it won't, and most likely if you do intimidate them into an action, it's not going to be long-lasting or productive. It's not really. sustainable, and it's not productive. And I will often say to parents, would you like to compete with your teenage testosterone? That does not sound fun to me. <laughs> <laughs> right. There is plenty of chemicals that they have running through them. That Let it settle. Let, if there's... Um, if everyone's feeling emotionally flooded and you know, when you're flooded, even if we haven't identified what that looks like in here, it's when we're about to say the things that we're going to regret. Yeah. Or just get back to the same old patterns Mm -hmm. again, the same old arguments. Um, one thing I would mention before we start that I, I don't really have a good answer for, but I definitely see it as a trend and I don't, I don't want to sound like a kids these days, uh, moment, but I definitely think the apps have not helped our kids. Depends on the app, probably. But specifically mm-hmm. what I mean is, I think I grew up in an era, and I'm not saying I was necessarily great at it, but I don't think I had the fear of dealing with people. 
I think that fear was a little less in me because I had to do it. There was no other option. I had to go deal with my friends. I had to call them or, you know, whatever. I had to walk over to the teacher and there, there, there wasn't anything else. I had to do that. And now with, with the presence of apps and texting and all this kind of stuff, I think that, oh, you mean I've got to go over and tell the waiter? <laughs> Speak to <laughs> a is, human being face be to face. frightening mm-hmm. for a teenager. And this whole realm of dealing with people, solving problems, resolving problems, um, I think they're a little bit shortened on this experience and I don't have a good answer for it. I don't know how we're going to work our way out of this, but I definitely think it is an issue that all I would say to parents is just make this a higher area of concern of just saying, hey, is my child, my teen, do they really know how to negotiate with people? Do they really know, you know, how, how do they perform in that environment and maybe make that more of a priority because I, I don't, I wasn't thinking about this as, as, as a parent and like I said, I don't know that I have a great answer for it other than to try to make it a priority and, and do these kinds of things because I think the apps aren't, are not in their favor in this realm. Yeah, yeah. social interaction is critical for yeah. Because it can be growth. scary. It can be very scary. And if, and if they can rather do it on an app or text and not deal with the person, I think that's a, a really hard habit to get out of um, and does not serve them well in many moments, especially with their own friends, um, mm-hmm. which is too bad. All right, so I want to get into some specifics of what to do with a teenager. We'll, we'll do a little bit of an exercise. And we've talked about the patterns a lot, and I want to get into just a pattern discussion. Before we do that, uh, emphasize what, what are some things that can, you can do before that. We've talked about it, again, a lot, this idea of what's going right and reinforcing their part of how they impact other people. This, this idea is handmade for teenagers because they don't understand how they impact other people only that they're failing them or they're mm-hmm. not smart enough or whatever, but they're never really told, hey, you're doing great. This really impacts the family this way or the, your school or your friends or whatever. And sort of seeing the bigger picture, teenagers need this kind of feedback. I think it's a great feedback and it's an easy conversation to have as a parent. I agree. I think I love that you have said that in the past, the impact and letting them know their positive impact on your impact on your family system is huge. Yeah. So that's a great starting point. Sure. Um, Next is the listening idea. Again, the same kind of thing. Uh, There's nothing new or radically different about listening to your kids. What I think as parents, we've find ourselves guilty of is you shouldn't be upset about that or quit worrying about that or, you know, that's nothing, you know, sort of dismissing their mm-hmm. whatever their experience. it is. Their, yeah. And I think we do that for sure. Uh, totally guilty. I'll raise my hand in, <laughs> in an admission of guilt. I have been there, done that. Oh, sure. In an effort to calm, honestly. Sure. I think the idea is, or the intention of the parent is to help calm the situation. And it ends up uh, discounting the child's experience. Yeah. And I think that's where the rub ends up coming in. I I use the example of just for a moment, you have a child, that, a young child that wanders into your room and says, you know, there's a monster in my room in the middle of the night and you want them to just go to bed. That's all you want. And so what's the natural parent response? 
there's no monster in there. Let's yes. get back go in to there. bed. Like, let's go back to <laughs> bed. This is ridiculous. There's no monster. See, there's no monster. But I have encouraged parents to think through that, even if it's maybe the next day when they have a kind of a calm moment and they're not so exhausted themselves. If there were something in your room that you thought was real, how would that feel to you that was scaring you, that was terrifying? That would be really scary. And so I will try to encourage parents to validate. I understand that you're scared. You know, when we can't see everything in our room, that can be really scary. Instead of trying to talk them out of it, but help them. And and we do this in the light. We don't try to do this in those moments when it's, yeah, when we're emotionally flooded, that we're tired and we just want everyone to be in bed. So maybe in the daytime you have a more, even with a young child, we can have these conversations about what is scary about that. Can we talk about it instead of that's not scary? Don't, that's not a big deal. What you're telling me is not a big deal. And then as children age, um, compared to going to a job every day and having a mortgage, yeah, having someone ignore you in a high school hallway is not that big of a deal to you, but to them to the person that has not had that experience or is experiencing it for the third time that day, that's a big deal. Right. So to say that they can get to the same level you're at as far as what is a big deal and what is not, telling a child or telling a teenager that that's not a big deal or they shouldn't be crying about that or they should get over this or that is incredibly discounting. And it's, like I said, there's, there's a moment of where a parent is thinking, oh, if I let them talk about this or whatever, I'll be encouraging it. Or, I mean, it's a, it's a very commonly held belief, generally misguided belief, but I mean, it is reasonable in the moment to want to end the thing, whatever. Oh, we sure. want peace, you know, we want wh- whatever. And sometimes you got to sort of do what you got to do to get peace, you know, in the moment. But, but there is a, an argument to be made for let's, let's find another moment when it's quiet, whatever, and we can talk about the thing, whatever it is, and, and pr- maybe get a lot of headway made on that thing so yeah. it doesn't happen again next week or two weeks from now. So, yeah. Um, One thing I teach parents that I wish I had done younger with my own children, but I definitely use it in therapy, is to use the phrase, how can I help? Instead of solving it for my child, they come home with a problem that in my head I am saying that it's not a big deal. That can't be, seriously, this is undoing you? If I just bite my tongue to the point of bleeding sometimes, Meryl, I will admit, I've probably had to make my tongue bleed a few times (laughs) of like, how is this a problem? (laughs) But getting to a place where I can listen and listen some more and listen some more and then say, that would be tough. How can I help? What you are doing is empowering the child to solve their own thing. Because children are usually quite aware that you got it. They just don't know that they got it. And so if you can help them, even though they they know you got it, they know you could say something to the teacher or to the other kid, and they may even want you to do that. But that's not necessarily helping them develop. Yeah. If you could say, how can I help? That's That would be really hard. The child then can kind of work through, oh, I don't know, mom. I just shouldn't have failed that test. Oh, yeah, that's a bust. How can I help? That must have been hard. Yeah. 
And that, I guess, gets to my next point, which is, I think, as parents, we think, okay, we got to do something different. And it can get quite overwhelming to go, oh, we have all these problems in the house or whatever, dealing with this one child, and we're just overwhelmed and we don't know where to start and we think it's going to take this gigantic switch or whatever to change to make a difference when really I think the better approach is to just say, how do we change this one situation? You know, let's, we're going to Disney World, we're whatever, we're going to the grandpa's house on for Christmas. How do we not turn this into a debacle? You know, it's like, what, what specific thing could we work on that would change how that thing would turn out? And let's see if we can't talk about that ahead of time or, you know, come up with a different way of how we would react mm-hmm. or, you know, sort of think through that one situation and then s- try to get success from there and then build from there, I guess, mm-hmm. is, is my point. It's, it's, it can be very overwhelming to think how we're going to change the whole course of our relationship and how the child's going. And when I think it's way more productive to just, we've talked about before, start small, start with something specific. Hey, the, when the child comes home, enters the house at three in the afternoon on a day after school, that doesn't seem to go well. Okay, well, let's start there. Let's, let's figure start out. start at the small <laughs> interaction right after school. What is it that I don't like about our inter- or after school yeah. interaction? I don't like that, you know, my child immediately turns on video games and doesn't want to do anything else. Yeah. Or... And that's a great discussion and where I'd like to sort of end this show is, is, a, is a pattern discussion there. And then so if we use that example of they're coming home from school, the pattern could be, I don't know, I'm doing my thing, child walks in, slams the whatever, plump, 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 plunks around, upset. Um, I say something like, why are you doing that? Or, you know, whatever they fire back, you know, with this or that. I then say, you know, you're always mad, you know, what's the deal? How come you're now you're disrespectful, mm-hmm. yada, yada. And it breaks down. I didn't do anything to you. You've been at school all day. <laughs> Why are you mad at me? <clears throat> yeah. So that would be, uh, if we were doing that in, in the session, right, we would do something like that. I do something on the board where I just put in my, I have my, my personal technique is I got my black pen right here. My, <laughs> and I, I, and the black is the, the pattern. And I will, I will say, you know, parents said this child did that. Then the parent does this and we'll sort of map out the parent, the thing in black. And then I'm going to go take out my green pen and I'm going to say, what are you thinking in the middle of all that? You know, start out with the parent and the parents thinking something like, gosh, I didn't do that when I was a kid. When I came in the house, I was expected that I did chores and blah, blah, this and that and whatever. Whatever, they, mm-hmm. whatever it is, the parent. Mm-hmm. And we would listen to the child do the same thing. Okay, mm-hmm. on your actions over here, what are you thinking? No one understands me. Yeah. My parents are mean to me. That's right. Uh, I've got horrible friends, you know, whatever. Something at school is not going the way I wanted it to, people are ignoring me, whatever. Mm-hmm. The per- child's mm-hmm. probably got things outside the home they're bringing in mm-hmm. to the house, right? Um, and then, uh, like I said, where I go with this is, and this is especially where like the, I think the Gottman idea has a lot of these kinds of things. It's like, what's the need? What's the now get to the, okay, let's start with the parent or the ch- could be whoever, but we're going to start with what's the core need that you're after? Or what's the 
vision you would like to see about when the child comes home or, you know, something along those lines, right? A, mm -hmm. a big, big idea of, of what's the need and is there a history behind this going poorly? Is there some sort of nightmare you feel like you're reliving from your past or, you know, whatever it is? So, mm -hmm. I don't know, talk to me about that. How is that? Yeah, I think once you've identified that pattern, you can kind of get to what is the surface need. But even before that, I would want the parent, especially if I have a parent and teenager in the room, to identify their reaction and response, which is somewhat part of the pattern, but I would want them, do you consider yourself to be reactive to the things he does or responsive? And once they can kind of identify that, response wins the day every time when someone can stop long enough to say, there's probably a need not being met. When he throws his backpack down, highly likely, at school, there something happened, or this is his safe place to unload. Let's pause for a minute. Hey, how was your day? Did anything happen that you want to talk about? No, I don't want to talk about anything. Why do you always <laughs> ask me? And instead of coming after them saying, it's not about, you know, why are you getting mad at me? Just recognizing how do I respond to somebody who is just letting out emotion instead of reacting to it? And even that is a pattern shift. Yeah. Yeah, because ultimately we're, we're, we're throwing the pattern up on the board because we're trying to break the chain. Sure. Somehow we're trying to figure out, okay, where in this chain can we insert a different behavior that you can buy into and go, yeah, I'm, I'll sign up for that. I can, I can do that differently when this, you know, comes about. And so all the way to the beginning, mm -hmm. you know, that's soft, you know. I think you mentioned it, the soft, soft opening, start. soft mm -hmm. startup mm -hmm. could be the way that teenager says, okay, I'm going to try to walk in the house a different way. Mm -hmm. I may not succeed, but I'm going to, yeah, I could probably do that. I'm going to sit in the car or sit. <laughs> I mean, it's, it depends on the age and stage of the child. Mm -hmm. I personally subscribe to, or try to talk the parent into subscribing that that's their role to model that first to say whatever comes through the door, I'm going to respond. And then it teaches the child that it's okay to be okay and it's okay not to be okay. Okay, yeah, that's a good point. And then the parent can kind of model that and say, wow, it seems like several days this week you have come in and it's been really, really hard. It's been a hard day. Being at ju the junior high is hard stuff. Mm -hmm. Wow. How can I help? Yeah. Or do you want to play a game? Or do you want to go outside and play? Can we just have a moment where it's not about this interaction, but just let almost let the helium out yeah. of it? And what you just said there is a response that hopefully the parent comes up with in the room of saying, my normal reaction when they traipse in the house is to, is to say... We don't do that yeah, here. Yeah, that's right. Put that away. <laughs> you know this, blah, blah, and sort of, sort of get into it right away. And, and the, hopefully the parent can see, you know what, that's another part of the chain here. What's my part in breaking that? I'm going to try this, you know, way of responding when mm -hmm. I see this kind of activity coming in the door. Sure. I'm going to try that. Yeah. I think it's really hard to have a one-way fight. <laughs> if, they, <laughs> if you don't give them anything to push against, then the child might have their moment, whatever, and then they see that it's being done differently. They might not trust it for a few interactions just like that. And then you've modeled 
and suddenly the the helium almost that sounds funny but just the air in that negative interaction gets let out of um, I come in and I'm furious and my mom's really calm and then it's super annoying that my mom <laughs> my right. mom doesn't want to fight with me yeah. and why am I mad again oh okay this is my safe yeah. place and I think teenagers want to be able to just have normal chit chat with their parents um and, and they find it distressing when it seems like all we do is fight about this or that, or they're always nagging me about whatever. And it's like, we never seem to just talk about baseball, you know, mm -hmm. whatever, some subject that is not something we need to fight with, fight about or discuss or decide who's got the smarter take on it or whatever. Mm -hmm. they, I think teenagers are looking for that. Um, in our house, I know growing up, this is pre-dishwasher now. I'm, I'm dating <laughs> myself, but... Wow. I think... My mother really made it a point. One, she was very adamant that there was no television in the kitchen slash where we ate. Mm. And two, we did the dishes. And honestly, I think those were our best conversations. We're there holding the the drying towel, whatever. And um, and you you were basically made to stand there yeah. for, for 15, 20 that minutes, whatever. Is, doing the dishes together is a lost family <laughs> family discussion board. Yeah. But it's something like sure. that where we do, I'm sure tons of conversations broke out about any number of things mm -hmm. that w didn't have to do with, are you doing it right? Or have you done that chore or, you know, whatever. So I guess I only throw that in as, those kinds of things I think teenagers are, are definitely fine with and look forward to actually just having a talk about anything. Um, and so it's okay to see it. Hey, as a parent, am I doing that? Am I at least just asking them simple stuff or talking about mm -hmm. those kinds of things mm -hmm. that have nothing to do with what their homework is or when they have to be at soccer or, you know, whatever. Sure. It's a lot easier for a teenager to believe that story that my parent wants me to be a happy, healthy, contributing member of society, coming back to the beginning, if I have belief that I have other conversations with my parent that are not action or task-oriented, if I can have other casual conversations with them, they have a lot more believability that my intention as the parent is that they, we get out of this into adulthood with a healthy relationship. Yeah. And it's, I think it's okay to maybe at times, and I know I was guilty of this, it, sometimes I think it's okay to let the child in on that we have problems too, that we have worries, we have, you know, whatever. And, and, sure. and I think this will be in follow-on. I have an, another idea for a, a show with uh, teenagers about sort of a pattern to follow, I guess, that, that sort of leads to this idea of part of problem solving is to not just talk about what's going on in their mind, but for you to let them know hey, this is what I'm scared about in this situation. Mm -hmm. I'm afraid I'm a bad parent. I'm afraid, I, you know, whatever. I'm mm -hmm. afraid I've given you bad advice or shown you the wrong thing or whatever, um, given you a bad model of how this is supposed to be done. So those seem like signs of weaknesses to people. I think kids respond awesome. I think, I think kids are overwhelmingly respond positive to those kinds of statements from their parents. Right? Oh, yes. Well, I, I teach that in a way of where if I am a reactor, if I have identified myself that I react a lot, then I say, I, I had the reaction. And that wasn't the way I wanted it to go. It's okay. I, I did not die. I still have the opportunity to go back down to their room and say, 
time out. That didn't go the way I wanted it to go. I'd love to do that again. I'm sorry I said X, Y, or Z. For a kid to have an understanding that you can reround or worry about something or not get it right and know that you don't get it right all the time is huge. That is mentoring. Yeah, because they're going to need to do that with their friends sure. when you're not there. Hopefully they sort of know how that goes. Sure. And that's a big, a big thing, I think. Okay, well, I think the points uh, that I'd like to take out of this show are, one, you can start with something, again, very specific, very small. You don't have to solve the whole dynamic between you and your child in one fell swoop. It's probably not even possible. <laughs> um, and no. it's just too stressful to even think about that way. So you can uh, come to a family therapist and break up little parts like this and get help doing that. It's, again, it's not that you couldn't do this at your house. You certainly could. And we certainly encourage you to, to do the kinds of things we've talked about. But it may go a little faster if you have outside help and can kind of speed up the process and get another person's opinion on how this goes. So, And we certainly encourage you to do that. Um, final thoughts on today's show, Liza? I think you summed it up really well. <laughs> Brilliant as usual, of course. Brilliant as usual. Okay. Well, we will then... Um, have ideas or thoughts, uh, tune in next time for another edition or discussion on dealing with teenagers and conflict specifically on Counselors Can Help. Our mission is to spread the word that counselors can help. We want to teach you how to get started and get the most out of therapy. We encourage you to reach out to a professional in your area to help yourself through a loved one. Thank you to Kelsey Fink, our production assistant and chief of technology and social media. Thanks to Aspire Counseling at AspireUT.com for their support. If you want to know more about how counselors can help, go to counselorscanhelp.com. We have lots of resources, information, and we update it all the time. We'll see you next time on Counselors Can Help, a production of Merge Publishing.